lived out in the lives of people, followers of Jesus. And before I ask them to come up and share, um, we're going to do, as we always do, we're going to read through a passage that we would have gone through uh, on, a, on a regular hype Sunday night. And I'm going to say a few comments, and then I'm going to invite them to come up and share their testimony. So if you have a scripture notebooks with you, and if you don't, I have the words on the slide. But we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to actually finish up 1 Corinthians 15 tonight with our testimony night. Uh, we're going to be in verses 35 through 58. We're just going to read it all the way through. And as always, take your pens, underline anything in your scripture notebook that sticks out to you. Anything that might actually not make sense, might be a little confusing, circle that, underline that. And if you have questions, ask those questions in your small groups after large group is done. And if you don't have a scripture notebook, I encourage you to take notes, maybe comment on a verse that sticks out to you. Yes, Joa? Need a pen? We got some extras. All right. So, with that in mind, I will read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 through 58. Let's, let's read these together. Verse 35. But if someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? And you fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. As for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different than that of the earthly body the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown in a natural body, raised a spiritual body. But if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What, am I, what I am saying, brothers and sisters, is, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling, you a ministry, uh, uh, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment. In a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal, mortal body must be clothed with immortality. Now when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is, where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, 
always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord's is not in vain. So a couple things, just a couple of comments to write down so you have at least a base understanding of what's going on in this passage. I, I want you to underline a, a few verses. First, I, under, I want you to underline verse 40. Underline verse 40 if you haven't already, or make a note of it. If you don't have a scripture notebook, just put verse 40 uh, and, and a note. Verse 40 says, There are heavenly bodies and earthly bo- bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different than that of the earthly bodies. So if you've been here the last couple of Sunday nights at all, we're talking about the resurrection, of, uh, of the human resurrection, resurrection body, and why Christ's resurrection happened and why that's important for us to hold on to the fact that we ourselves will experience our own resurrected bodies. Verse 40 kind of sums this up in this last uh, passage that we went through, that there are two different kinds of bodies and why a a resurrection of our bodies is necessary is because there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but and they're different. And Paul goes later in to say in... um, Verse 46, I'm just going to quick go through some verses to kind of get a big picture. Verse 46 says, however, the spiritual is not the first, but the natural. Then the natural uh, comes. The first was from the earth, the man of dust. The second is from heaven. And Paul is making this final uh, declaration, this final truth giving that it, the body that you have now is very much an earthly body. It is, it is corruptible. It is tainted by sin. It experiences uh, effects of living in a fallen world. And he says, when Christ comes back uh, and we are given new bodies, that is going to be a completely different body. It's a different material. It's not a flesh. It's not a natural body, but it's more of a spiritual heavenly body that we will receive uh, when Christ comes back. Next thing, just to kind of keep flowing on to get a, big, a bigger picture of this passage, is um, verse... 51. If you have not underlined it already, I would underline 51 and 52. Paul says, listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. So that's what's going to happen. What Paul is saying here is, hey, like, how is this going to happen? For those who are going to be alive when Christ comes back, somehow, it's a mystery. Our bodies are going to change instantly. You're going to go from a, a, an earthly, physical body to this spiritual, heavenly body. It's a mystery. It's going to happen right away. In a twi- it says, in a twinkling of eye, basically, everyone, blink your eye once. That quickly is how it's going to change. And, but for those who have, have died, Paul uses the, the term fallen asleep. For those who have died before Christ comes back, so think about everyone who has died prior to today and those who may die in the future before Christ comes back, they, Paul writes that they will actually, their bodies will be resurrected out of the grave when Christ comes back. So believers who are alive at the time of Christ's return and believers who have died before Christ's return both have resurrected bodies. Both will be changed in a twinkling of an eye. And that's going to be kind of incredible. Think about it. For those who have died, just real quick, like a long time ago, decomposition has been happening under the ground. Right, you think of like really, really old people, like things are happening in their grave, they're being decomposed, like most of them are probably like dust. It says, we were made out of dust and we will return to dust. Think about it, even people who have died a long time ago, when their, their soul is with God as a believer, 
they're going to receive a new body. And how that happens, again, a mystery, but Paul says uh, that we will receive that. Okay, last verse quickly before Dave and Jess come up. 58. If you have not underlined it already, underline 58. So, Paul kind of goes over a bit broad picture of the difference between earthly body, resurrected spiritual body, how it's going to happen, how it's going to change. And then he ends chapter 15 with this verse. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable and always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I think that's really key to understand in a topic like the resurrection or our own personal bodily resurrection, things that might be too hard to comprehend at this moment of time. Paul says it is important. It is important so that you know that you're not laboring in vain, that you're not living for Christ in vain, which just means this. If we are believers, we're not just living this life and then it's just done. We're going into the ground, we're staying dead, and nothing else happens after we're done living. Paul says no earlier in chapter 15, what we went over a couple of weeks ago, is that no, we have purpose and it's not just in this life only, but when we die, we're going to go and we're going to live forever if we're believers. And, and we have purpose in that. And so what Paul is encouraging the Corinthians and what I want to encourage you before Dave and Jeff come up is that like, what we do as believers and what we do to try to glorify God in our lives, what we do to try to share Jesus with others around us, is not just so that one day when we die, then that's it. It's like, no, like we have this hope that there's an eternal future waiting for us to be with God um, in his presence and to dwell with him forever. And that is a beautiful truth to hold on to. That is our hope. Because uh, in that, if you go back a couple of verses, we can say, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? We don't need to fear death. We have hope beyond death if we're a believer or if we're a follower of Jesus. And so we can say that with confidence. And so tonight, as um, Dave and Joseph, if you want to make your way up here, what I hope tonight to do is to, to see some of these things lived out in the lives of David and, and Jessica Wolf and, and hopefully see um, the hope that they have in the gospel, in the truth, uh, and that, that they're looking forward to that as they continue to live out their life, and that they believe that this gospel is true for their lives, that it's changed them, that God has transformed them so that they can also say, you know, I'm not afraid of dying. You know, we ask the, the question, you know, what would you rather know, the date of your death or the cause of your death? And I, it was for a purpose because it's something that no matter what your answer was like we don't need to fear death as a believer we have hope that there's life after death um, and that can take place with Jesus and and that is um, our hope and and that is what we we live for is to be with Christ so with that if you would give your undivided attention to Dave and Jess as I ask them some questions um, as they share their testimony and their story of how God uh, has worked in their lives and is continuing to work in their lives. So, um, <laughs> we can settle the whole hype way, and it's just rock, paper, scissors. Oh. Rock, 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 paper, scissors? I'll hold the mic. You want me to hold the mic? Okay. What? Oh, I do have another rule. If you volunteer someone, why don't you just volunteer yourself? 
So, yep, that is a rule. That's a rule. Yep, yep. All of our students have to follow that rule. So, yeah. If you volunteer someone else, you just volunteered yourself. All right. So, first question. Um, you know, always, like, what was your life like before your relationship with Jesus? Tell us a little bit about your background. What was your family life like? You personally, your, your family life, and then what are some things that would be helpful to know um, in your story um, leading up to that when God really started to get your attention? So I grew up in a family where my dad is a pastor. Uh, I've been a pastor for all my known life. Uh, so Jesus was talked about all the time in our house. Um, grew up in a pretty moral home, uh, loved by my parents, taken care of by my parents. Uh, I remember having a, a really good childhood. And, um, yeah, so I grew up as a person who um, was pretty sensitive to the things of the Lord ever since I can remember, remembering uh, what sin was and how it affected my life and um, wanting to please the Lord. Um, but some of the motivation for that, I'll share a little bit later, uh, was because my dad was a pastor um, and because I was a pretty good moral kid. So had a really nice childhood uh, up to that point. My story is kind of similar. My parent, my dad, my parents, my dad was into pastor, but my parents became a Christian right when I was born. So they were not Christians. And right when I was born, they became Christians, which I think is a really big part of my story. And if, you know, maybe you've grown up in a house where you've learned about Jesus most of your life, you know, your story goes back even before you and how God worked in your parents' life. So I always think that's amazing. The older I get, the more amazing I think it is that God saved my parents right when I was born. And so I always learned about Jesus in my home, and I always came to church and had a special church family. It was a small little church in the country, and I came to youth group every week, and I think that was really formative for me. I really learned a lot about Jesus in those years. Yeah. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. Uh, next question is, what were some moments that led to your conversion when you, when you really submitted your life to, to Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life? Um, what, how did you become aware of your sin and your need for a Savior in those moments? Um, and then um, when did you experience that peace that, you know, if you died, talk about death earlier, that you had that hope of spending eternity in heaven um, with, with, with God? So as I said, growing up, I uh, grew up pretty sensitive to knowing sin in my life, knowing what right and wrong, um, knowing that Jesus loved me, that Jesus came, that he died. And so I remember at a young age, um, you know, saying to the Lord, yeah, I, I want you to be my savior. I want you to forgive me of my sin. But the struggle that I had was, is I didn't understand assurance of salvation and so every time I did something wrong, I would be asking the Lord to save me again. So I was asking the Lord to save me like hundreds of times a day, right? Because I didn't understand, um, uh, I'll share these words with you in just a moment, but I didn't understand that there's that moment of, Lord, I, I cry out to you for the forgiveness of my sin and, and that he does. And so when I was, uh, let's see, it was December of 1977, um, I think I was eight years old, and my dad and I were at a um, 
they called them crusades. It was a time where they'd bring speakers in and they would share Jesus. And I remember that particular time, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. I don't know if you guys know who Johnny Erickson is, but um, she was, a, as a teenager, dove into the Chesapeake Bay, broke her neck and became paralyzed for the rest of her life. She's now, I think, 80 years old. But I remember she was there sharing about Christ. But the next night, we're driving home, and my dad looks at me, and he says, Dave, are you ready to be with Jesus? And I said, Dad, I, I, I think I am. I said, I, I'm sensitive to sin. I know that Jesus came, and I know that he died. But I, I said, I, I, every time I sin, I keep asking Jesus to forgive me. You know, And my dad that night really explained to me, uh, these are big words, but I'm going to explain them to you, justification, sanctification, and glorification. And the idea that justification is that at that moment of salvation, we are made right in the eyes of God. So I'm going to illustrate it, okay? So let's say Noel, right? Noel is not a believer. We're just going to use him as an example, okay? So Noel, apart from Jesus, is what? He's dead in his trespasses and his sins, right? Noel is doomed to an eternity in hell, separated from the goodness of, of God forever, right? And so just, I'm not God, so don't walk out of here, but say I'm playing the, the role of God. So when God sees Noel, he sees Noel as judged, sitting under his wrath, right? But Noel comes to the realization that he needs Jesus, and he cries out to Jesus for the forgiveness of his sin, right? And so Joah comes in. We're going to say Joah is Jesus. We know he's not Jesus, but Joah comes in. Joah, move in between me and Noel. Come on, stand up. Yep, 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 yep. Right there, stop, 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 okay? So when God sees Noel every time right now, who does he see Noel through? Jesus, right? So when you give your life to Christ, when you cry out for the forgiveness of your sins, Jesus comes in between you and the Father so that every time that God looks at you, he looks at you through whom? His son. And he sees you what's called positionally perfect, you are his child. You're adopted. You're saved, right? Whenever Noel sins, Jesus doesn't go, up. Oh, sorry, Noel, and jumps out of the way. Jesus always stays there. That's what we call justification. He's made right in the eyes of God, okay? But, thank you, you can sit down, Joah. There's also this process that happens at the moment of salvation called sanctification, right? We have justification, which happens one time, and then you have what's called sanctification, which is all the time. And sanctification is this big word that just means that I am becoming more and more like my Savior and how I live my life, right? It's not just good enough in the Christian life that we ask Jesus to save us from our sins just so we can get our ticket punched to heaven, right? And that's kind of how I looked at it, right? I kind of looked at it like, man, I want to make sure I go to heaven. I want to make sure I go to heaven because heaven is great and hell is bad and hell is hot, right? And I don't want to go there. Okay, But there's this process that when I really trust Jesus to be my Savior, that I'm to live for him. I'm to love him. I'm to want to obey him. I'm to want to demonstrate him to those that I come in contact with. So that night, my dad really explained those to me. That Not that we're perfect, right? And life, is one of the questions is coming up later, life is a constant battle. It's a constant struggle. I'm 53 years old, and we, and Jess and I have been through valley after valley after valley, but we've also been through 
tremendous joy. Why? Because as we've just sung, yet not I, but Christ in me, that my Savior never leaves me, right? And he's always with me, and he's always trying to make me more and more like himself. And so that night in December of 1977, I really believe is the night that I surrendered my life to Christ. I acknowledged that, right, I am a sinner. I needed Jesus as my Savior and began that journey of also learning to walk with him in all of life. Yeah, thanks for sharing. And Jess, for you, like how, yeah, what, what events led to that moment of conversion with you, uh, submitting to Jesus, Lord and Savior of your life? Um, and then how, when did you really have that peace that you had that hope of spending eternity with him in heaven when you died? Yeah. You know, I'm not exactly sure. I don't know if any of you could give that same answer, but I don't really know exactly when I was justified, when Jesus stepped in and I was made his child. I don't know exactly the day because it was a process of understanding and believing. I think I probably prayed. I know I did. I prayed and asked Jesus to be my Savior when I was really young. But I remember specifically when I was in, like, maybe about 15 or 16, and I just was really convicted because I was really, really not loving Jesus or living for Jesus. I really loved myself a lot. And... um I heard someone speaking about, it was like a kind of about spiritual warfare, about Satan and God and whose team are you on? And, and a little bit of a challenge, like if you were to die, do you, you know, do you know whose team you're on? And I just remember thinking, I really want to live for Jesus. I want him to have my life and I want to be on his team because I really did believe in that moment that he was the king and worthy of all of my life. So, yeah. Thanks for sharing. Uh, next question, Jess, you can, you can start with this one. Um, how has Jesus Christ changed your life since that time mm-hmm. for you specifically when you, when you really was like, you know, Jesus, I, I'm making a stand, like I'm going to live mm-hmm. for you um, and, and I'm, I'm on your team. How, how has Christ changed your life since then and what are some evidences that you've seen? Um, how, have you experienced victory over, over some sin in your life? some of those evidences uh, that you've seen changed in you since that, that time. Yeah, well, like, like Dave said, it's such a process. Like, we still have so much to learn. And, um, but I think I really, from the time I was really young, I'm a firstborn. Anybody in here firstborn? The very first one in your family. I really wanted to make people happy. I wanted to make my parents happy. Um, I wanted people to think well of me. A lot of times the Bible talks about this being like the fear of man, people pleasing. Like deep in my heart, I would do good things, but was it really for Jesus or was it just for me? Um, so I think God has definitely um, been making my motivation for all that I do more about him than about me, but I'm still definitely in process of that. Um, and I've always had good friends and friendships, and I think a lot of times I put my worth and my hope in my relationships and in my friends. And um, and God has taken me through some really, really hard things where I felt very, very alone. <laughs> and... 
I had to ask myself, is Jesus enough? Is he enough for me? If he was the only friend I had, would that be enough for me? And he helped me see and say, yes. Yes, he really is enough. And he is really worthy of everything, even if it means I have to lose my friends and many other things. He is worthy. So. And then Dave, same question to you. Yeah. Uh, kind of like Jess, um, so after that, I lived a lot of my teenage life when I was about your age as a good moral person. Um, I believe I did love Jesus, but I also struggled with what Jess said is uh, fear of man and trying to please people and live a certain way because my dad was a pastor. Um, my oldest sister chose a different path and how she wanted to live her life and was uh, very rebellious and got into a lot of the the, the things of this world, and I was the goody-goody, and I was the one, and I just saw the, the you know, the, the, the pain and the sorrow and, and, and consequences that she suffered, and I, I chose the other way, but a lot of that was just because, you know, again, I, I believe I loved Jesus, but I wanted to um, be good and moral because at that point, I was still struggling to understand that in Christ Jesus, I was dearly loved, and that he loved me, um, and and I would you know struggle with, boy, if I sinned early in the morning, like spending the rest of the day trying to earn his favor and earn his love back, rather than confessing that and being like, no, Lord, I'm going to live in that love right away. So all through college, I was pretty pretty moral. Um, then throughout the rest of my life, had some circumstances in my life that. Uh, later on came to realize uh, I'm a man who struggled over the course of my life with anger. Um, <clears throat> I would uh, experienced uh, when I was your age, I was pretty skinny, pretty uh, gangly, and got made fun of a lot as a young kid and, and didn't apply the gospel to my life at that point. And so when you do that, you begin to develop sinful patterns over the course of your life. So when you're made fun of or you feel rejected or somebody's criticizing you, um, I would either respond with emotion, withdrawal, or anger, right? And I'd be like, look, I'm done with you. I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not going to deal with you anymore. And so I began to see this develop. Well, I didn't see it right away, but this began to develop over the course of my life. And it wasn't until about seven, eight years ago that um, Mrs. Wolf and I, uh, we went and got some biblical counseling together, and that's when God really revealed in my life that I had this huge uh, issue in, in my heart of anger. And I, hadn't, I had been blind to it for so much of my life. And during that time, um, the Spirit of God opened my eyes to that. Not that I've totally gotten rid of all my anger, but the Spirit opened my eyes to realize that, <clears throat> as Mrs. Wolf said, it's not about me. It's not about finding my identity in myself and what other people think about me and and that I am a dearly loved child of the king, and that to live in that love means that I don't have to fear and perform or de um, demand respect or demand all these things from people, that I can live under the grace of Jesus and know that, um, that he loves me and that he is for me. And uh, we see that in Romans chapter 8. And so just dealing with anger in my life, there's so many more things I could share with you. Uh, one other quick one is about 11, 12 years ago, just went through a really dark time in my life. And I, I'll be honest with you guys, I'm in the middle of, the, of, of a pastorate. 
I'm trying hard. I'm trying to serve the Lord. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. But it's me who's trying. It's me who's trying to play the role of the Holy Spirit. It's me who's trying to do all these things. And it was, it was really a crisis of faith for me. And there were times when I'm like, Lord, I don't want you anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, not going to go into all the details of what was going on in my life, but a lot of physical health issues. I still struggle with those. But just really like, Lord, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. Christianity is, it's hard, guys and girls. It is. It's hard to live the Christian life. It's easier to just go live like the world. It's easier to just say, hey, I want this, I want that. But I remember during that dark time, there was one, one time where I was really down and out, really, really struggling, and just really like, Lord, I just don't, I, I don't, I can't do this anymore. And I remember the Holy Spirit impressing upon my life, saying, David, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you go. And that was really significant for me, right? Because in those moments where you're like, uh, that second verse of yet not I, but Christ, you know, the night is dark, right? And you guys are going to have dark nights, right? You're going to have dark night of the soul is what the Puritans call it, I think, dark night of the soul, where there's times when you're like, Lord, is this really worth it? Is it? Right? In John chapter 6, all these people are following Jesus because he's giving them food and he's healing their diseases, right? And Jesus says, no, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, whoa, that's not what we signed up for. We want the free meal and we want the healing. We don't want, we don't want that. What are you talking about? And Jesus is talking about you need to die to yourself. You need to surrender your life to me. And it says that all these disciples began to leave. And Jesus looks at the 12 and he says, you don't want to go too, do you? Right? And what does Peter say? He looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, where else are we going to go? <laughs> because you're the one who holds the keys to eternal life. And I'll never forget that moment in my life 12, 13 years ago when the Holy Spirit impressed upon my heart, I'm not going to let you go. Because you guys, it was dark. It was dark. And so just the Spirit of God, Paul writes in Ephesians 1, sealed with the Spirit, even in those super dark moments, super struggles, where the Holy Spirit, if you are in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit will not let you go. And he will be with you. So, Amen. Let's bring it a little bit more to present day, Dave and Jessica Wolf. Um, obviously, when we become Christians, you know, we don't live this perfect life. We still struggle with sin in today. So, um, you know, we read about, you know, there'll be a, a time when Christ comes back where we'll say, you know, death, where's your sting? Like, we will have complete victory. We'll be incorruptible. Um, perfect at, at that day. And even though we're not there yet, right? We're, we're living in the now where Jesus has yet to come back. Um, but yet we still have the power of the Spirit within us to, to choose that, but, but we still sin, right? So how do, you, how do you process through that today, maybe differently than what you would have processed through it in the past? How, how do you deal with your current sin maybe differently than you, you would have in the past? I think just being more and more aware that it is a spiritual battle, right? The Christian life is, is waging war. There's a battle between, the, the Scripture talks about there's a battle between the, the Spirit that lives in you, the Holy Spirit, and there's a battle between the flesh. Even though God comes and lives in us through his Holy Spirit, we still have this body that still wants to run towards the things of this world. And it still wants to go towards pleasing itself and living for itself and and, 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 and there's a constant battle every single day that we have to understand that we are going to wage against the flesh. And what we feed, right, 
what you feed on is what you become. I remember this year uh, listening one time to uh, chapel at Cornerstone where our kids are at, and um, the speaker was saying, you become what you behold. And what he meant by that is if you behold Christ and you honor and love Christ and you worship Christ, right, then you, you, can, be, you can become more and more like Christ. But if you behold the things of this world, right, and I'm not saying everything's bad, but how much time we spend on social media, how much time we spend watching television, how much time we spend, right, doing all these other things that can dull our affections for Jesus Christ, right, and we're only giving Jesus a little bit of our life, right, we're not going to win that battle. There are so many things, guys and girls, that are, are longing to, 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 to gain your attention and to gain your affection. We see it all the time. Okay, I see it all the time. And so battling that and waging war with that and like, Lord, no, I don't want the things of this world. I don't want the things of this life. I want you more. So one of the examples, Kent asked for an example. It's like, you know, um, earlier on in my life, struggling with lust and pornography, right? And just, um, we know. We, we live in a very uh, evil, wicked world. It's everywhere, right? And, and, and realizing that, and I'm a firm believer, and it's not just guys anymore. It's girls that are involved with this kind, of, this kind of stuff. And I tell people, you may need to get rid of your television. You may need to get rid of your phone. You may need to get rid of um, all these things. But that's not going to solve the problem. There was a message by Thomas Chalmers called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. The way you're going to conquer pornography and lust and, and gluttony and fear of man, any sin, right? I'm just using lust and pornography as one because it's a pretty common topic. But this idea of do I want Jesus more? Do I treasure Jesus more? So like I was telling my wife today, it's like, you know, I, I, I read the news and you know, you're scrolling through the news and there's a, a news article that pops up with, you know, check out so-and-so's bikini body, right? And it's like the flesh is like, oh, just click on it and take a look, right? But I'm, I'm constantly going, Lord, no, I want you. I want you. I don't want 10 seconds of false pleasure. Jesus, I want you, right? It's not even that I want to honor my wife, even though I want to honor my wife in that. I want to cherish my wife in that. It's more important that I cherish Jesus. And when I cherish Jesus, then those things are like, you know, I don't need that. Right? We had lunch today, right? I ate six pieces of pizza. Right? And I get home and I tell my wife, I'm like, I don't need to eat six pieces of pizza. Is pizza good? Yeah. Right? I thought today's pizza was good. I mean, I'm sitting there like, man, this is good. Right? I don't need to eat six pieces of pizza. Lord, I want you more than six pieces of pizza. Right? Lord, I want you more than sleep. I want you more than the, than the praise of my friends. I want you more than a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I want you more than this house, or I want you more than this car. I want you more. And so that battle every single day when you're faced with temptation, Jesus, I want you more because you're all satisfying. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Jess, same question. No, you're good. Um, take I take think, time. You know, one thing I really love a lot is comfort and peace. I don't like conflict. 
I like things to be nice and happy. <laughs> and, you know, it's just not that way, like, especially with relationships and people. And there's things you have to work through. So God is helping me um, to be brave, to be courageous, to... Um, He's helped me to do a lot of things I never thought I would do. And um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Joss, a couple more questions to go through. So as a student ministry, we've been going through 1 Corinthians um, this whole year. And uh, I just want you to share, what, what is one gospel truth that you would want a middle school student, a high school student, to really hold on to and know as they go throughout their day as a student, as they go home, as a sibling, as a child? Um, what, what, what's a gospel truth that you would want them to really know and, and hold on to? Yeah. Well, I was reading through Corinthians again, and um, Paul says, I'm not going to boast in anything except for knowing Jesus. And there's a lot of things, like think about the things you talk about um, that you get excited about. A lot of times we can boast in things, you know, that are just not Jesus. And I really encourage you, boast only in Jesus, not in all of your accomplishments or what you can do or can't, you know, who you know, but boast in the fact that Jesus is king and he's rescued you. And um, and then right after Paul talks about the wisdom of the world is foolishness, or wait, the wisdom of God is foolishness to men and the wisdom of, um, well, I'm going to get it all messed up, but the wisdom of this world is foolishness. The things that people boast in and think are just so worthy of their whole lives is just going to pass away. We're going to die, and there's going to be a whole new life, and we really should live for Jesus because that is all that's going to matter in the end. Same question to you, Dave. Yeah. For me, it's you hear me talk about this all the time, so it's, I repeat myself on this, and I'll continue. There's, there's three really important aspects of the gospel, right? We're saved from the penalty of sin. And that's where, yes, we need forgiveness for our sin. It's that moment that I talked about of, of crying out to God for the uh, salvation of our sin. But that's oftentimes where we stop. We're like, okay, I'm saved. Now I just got to kind of muddy my way through the rest of my life and, and wait till we get to heaven. But I'm a firm believer that we have the power of the gospel. And to say to you students that if you are in Christ Jesus, you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Spirit of God lives in you. The Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. So you have every single moment the opportunity to live in the power of the gospel to say no to sin. Every single moment you have that opportunity. Again, it goes back to the battle between the Spirit and the flesh. But God has given you the power when the, this person says, do this, or I want to get into this relationship because, boy, I just, I just want somebody in my life, and you know it's not the best relationship, but, man, I'm going to get them saved, and I'm going to be a missionary to them, and they're going to come to know Jesus and all that kind of stuff. No, you have the power to say no to sin. And then the third aspect of the gospel is, is we will be saved from the presence of sin. 
And I love that even for you guys because here's the thing. This world is not all that there is. And no matter what you're going through, no matter what the circumstances of your life are, and there are kids that are going through so many different things now, I can't imagine the stuff that you guys are going through, stuff that we didn't go through when we were kids. You're faced with so many more things, but this is not all that there is. There is a greater hope and a greater joy that's coming. Peter says it, an inheritance that it's imperishable, right? Undefiled, kept in heaven for you by Christ Jesus, right? And so there's that hope that there is that eternity that's coming for those who are in Christ Jesus, that you will be with him forever. And here's the thing about heaven. It's not like you're going to go and get angel wings and fly around in a white robe all the time. People have this misconception of what heaven's going to be like. We're all going to be flying around playing harps. That's not what heaven's going to be like. Heaven is going to be in the presence of our Savior, enjoying him forever. You're going to have the best food you've ever eaten. Right? It talks about the banqueting table. Right? You're going to enjoy worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords, never experiencing sin, pain, and death ever again. So you have the power. You've been saved from the penalty. You've been saved from the power of sin, and someday you will be saved from the presence of sin. And that's great news for us. Yes, so. it is. Amen. And then last question. What's some practical advice, one thing that you want to share practically to how to live as a student in middle school, high school, at home, uh, a way to live with eternity in mind, having that mindset of, hey, this life is not all that I, I have. I have a hope in a future with Jesus in eternity in heaven. How do I live with that mindset? And what are some, What's a practical way both of you have lived that out um, that you think would be helpful for students to know on, on how, to, how to do that well? John Piper said it one time in a message. He was talking to a bunch of youth workers, and he said this phrase, and I've never forgotten. He says, the hardest thing you will ever do is getting your young people to realize how loved they are by God. How loved you are by God. Right? Because we see love in terms of what people think about us and circumstances and these things down here. But young people, you have a heavenly Father who dearly loves you. If you are in Christ Jesus, you've put your faith and trust in him. I struggled with that with a lot of my life. A lot of my life was, I've got to live this way to earn God's favor. I've got to earn God's favor. I've got to earn God's favor. And I'm trying, and I'm trying, and I'm trying, and I'm trying. And it wasn't until I was in my 40s where I heard a message by Jeff Vanderstelt where he said, I want you to realize the gospel and how God loves you. And that was life-changing for me to realize how loved I am by God and in Christ Jesus how loved you are by God because we're all looking for love in so many different places and the only true love that you're ever going to experience is the love that you have through your Savior Jesus Christ and so for each and every one of you to know how loved you are by God that your God will never leave you he will never forsake you you see it all throughout the scriptures right even in the darkest of times you constantly hear God was with them. God was with them. God was with them. And my favorite passage of scripture, and I'll end with this and then I'll let Jess finish, is Romans 8, 30, uh, 31 through 39. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul is saying, look, 
The, the king of the universe gave his one and only perfect son to die for you. How do you, how do you not understand that and go, man, that is amazing love, because he didn't have to do that. Who shall be, bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, young people, listen, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And for you to know that love and for you to live in that love and to realize that our obedience comes out of the understanding that our Father loves us. And he loves us even in our worst moments. And there's nothing you can do as his child to out his grace. And he loves you. And he is for you. And nothing will separate you from that love. And so because of that, I can, I can say, man, I want to love you back. I want to be obedient. I want to honor you because I'm so loved by you. Yeah, amen to that. Jess? I think um, practically you have a, a lot of voices telling you things all of the time and every day. And it's easy to forget that God loves you and that he's with you. So I would say it's just you hear these things since you were so little, but it's so important that you for yourself spend time with God and listen to his word and listen to his voice. Make that voice louder than the other voices that you have around you. And then it's so good you're here and you're doing things with other Christians and you're getting to learn from Pastor Kent and Amber and these other people that are here to help you know Jesus. You really can't grow in, in knowing God without other Christians. You really can't be alone in it. It's just too easy to go down. You need a team. So that's really, really important that you are with people who are going to build you up and help you to grow. Yeah, amen. I'll take this. Thank you. Um, and and uh, Just a couple closing comments before we pray. Um, you know, some of the things that Dave and Jessica talked about, you know, knowing Jesus and knowing God's love for you. If you're here tonight and you don't know what that means for you personally, if you haven't entered that right relationship with Jesus, uh, or maybe you're here tonight and you're like, man, like, like Dave, like I, I, I'm in a dark season. I, I'm battling, like I'm in a really tough season where I just need to be reminded of God's love for me. Like I need someone to talk to, someone to encourage me. Uh, if you're in either one of those camps, um, please talk to your small group leader um, after we're done here. Uh, let them know uh, our, our leaders are here to care for you, to love you, to, to meet with you, to talk with you. Uh, and we want to do that. So if you're, if you're feeling that, if you're feeling God nudge you in that direction, please, please talk to your small group leader tonight uh, before you leave. Uh, right now, we're, we're going to close. How we close all of our testimony nights, we're going to pray for Dave and Jessica. Um, and if uh, you guys out 
in the audience would uh, raise your hand towards them as a, as a sign of support for them and support what God's doing in their lives. Uh, I'm going to take time to pray for Dave and Jessica. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for tonight. And just thank you for um, just speaking through the wolves and, 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 sharing, and, and them sharing just um, one, how you've saved them, how, how you've uh, held on to them in, in their relationship with you and how you continue to show them who you are and as you continue to draw them closer into a deeper relationship with you. God, I pray for uh, Dave and Jess as they continue to minister here at Crosspoint, as Dave continues to, to pastor and shepherd in um, areas of music and discipleship and worship and just uh, just a bunch of different ways. And Jess, as she continues to just love and shepherd and uh, disciple people here as well. God, I pray that you would encourage them, that you would continue to energize them, and that you would continue to give them the strength and the words to say. Um, and just the discernment and, and how to do that in a way that glorifies you. God, I pray for them as their kids are continuing to uh, go through school and as they travel back and forth between Eureka and Bloomington to go to Cornerstone. I just pray that you continue to keep them safe uh, and continue to just uh, show them how to love their children in a way that points them to Jesus and, and to glorify you. God, we love you, we serve you, and, and all that we say and do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.